Hello and welcome back to the podcast. It's great to have you back with us at Find the Outside. So we have with us today the Chief Medical Officer of Health for the province of Nova Scotia, Dr. Rob Strang. Rob Strang also was an international rugby player for Canada, which I think what? is one of my favorite facts about Rob. I think that's right, right? No, he was a second row. You get it right. I'm a one cap wonder. That's back in the midst of time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got it. You got it. You know, you got you got to take those plaudits. One cap or not. That's amazing. Anyway, it's one of my favorite things to say about Rob. Rob, we're super excited to have you with us. You know, you, you and it's I. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, we've we've worked together. I mean, it must be 15 years ago now or something crazy when we did some work around public health transformation spanning over two years in Nova Scotia. And we were really excited when we reached out to you in the middle of what is obviously a very busy period for you as a chief medical officer of health in the midst of a global pandemic that you were able to find time to come on and talk with us. And so thanks for coming on. Anything you want to say by way of intro or just to be like, hi, I'm here? You know, thanks. Welcome. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the conversation. And you're right, Tim. It was like, you know, 2008-9. And uh, I was reminded of that when I saw, and, and international folks won't get this, but the dressers recently uh, are handing uh, Windhorse Farms over to, uh, as part of reconciliation, to a First Nations community. And it, I remember very well the energy we had at Wind, Windhorse Farms was critical. And I think all the work we did in public health renewal back then and, and creating some you know real fundamental foundations has uh, stood the test of time and, uh, and, and is part of, uh, I think, uh, allowing public health to be so successful during the pandemic uh, response. So good work uh, does last and has long lasting impacts. Wow, that is great to hear. I just feel like really, I wasn't even part of that work and I feel gratified to hear it. I love to hear that. And yeah, thank you for coming in the midst of what must be an incredibly busy time, obviously, and a stressful time. And we're hearing this from different folks, that folks in public health are really taking it on the chin and having to be out there over and over and over. But I would love for us to just start can you talk to us about public health itself and what it means? I'm aware that we have an international audience, and so it probably has different meanings, different places. And some folks may not even know what the concept of public health is. So it'd be helpful for us just to kind of start there before we dive into what it's like to lead at this time. Yeah, so there's two concepts. When we talk about public health writ large, I mean, the standard definition is that's all the efforts of collective efforts of society that uh, are focused on improving the health of populations, communities, and there's a key concept about reducing inequities in health. So those who are most impacted on certain issues, you know, bringing them up. Within that, then there's, uh, in, certainly in Canada, public health, you know, big PH public health is kind of like the organized part of the healthcare system whose focus is to lead the work within the healthcare system and with partners across government, across society on those prevention efforts. So unlike the rest of uh, medicine, which is focused on individuals who are unwell and needing diagnosis and treatment uh, and cure. And, and rehabilitation, but the organized public health is the part of the health care that focuses on populations and is focused on prevention. And so by nature, it's big and diverse. 
And often much of our, you know, we're an interface with the health system, but much of our work is outside of the healthcare system. And every, I think a key concept, everything we do is done collaboratively. There's nothing that formal public health can do alone, really. It's all done with a range of partners, different stakeholders, different sectors, and ultimately always needs to be done with community. I, I mean, where's the boundary? Do you know what I mean? It's almost like, where does it end then? Or does it not end? Like, how do you deal with that? Like, you're talking about, I almost, I mean, we work in systems change, as you know, Rob, in lots of different places in the world. And one of the big questions often is like, where do these, what's the boundary? What's actually our scope, you know? And yeah. So so that is the challenge because ultimately, virtually any issue can be seen as an issue that's impacting groups of people. Uh, but I think uh, another principle of public health is we always we should always be starting with epidemiology. So when we're talking about the health of communities, what is the epidemiology that describes my job is to lead public health in Nova Scotia. So what is the epidemiology that describes the health of Nova Scotians? What are the key issues? And that helps us then prioritize. Where are we going to focus our time and energy uh, on those? Uh, we should be doing that on based on epidemiology. What are the issues that are the most important? But it's also it's also critically important to understand that what we describe, the our epidemiology needs to be much broader than just health outcomes, you know, whether it's cancer rates or whatever, we need to be looking at things that how does that play out? How do how does socioeconomic status, how does uh, historic colonization, racialization, all those things play out ultimately to create uh, greater or lesser uh, health in communities. Uh, so I think even though epidemiology is the basis, we need to be very thoughtful that the epidemiology is describing uh, in a comprehensive and very broad way uh, the health of communities and the factors that go into creating health. It's far beyond just that what an individual does uh, with their in terms of their lifestyle. It's all those much broader, complex socioeconomic, racial, cultural, etc. factors. Yeah. I think when we first chatted, you actually said, I have, a, I have it written down in my notes, everything impacts public health, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that must be complex to lead in at the best of times, l- let alone. It is because you, otherwise, you know, without a focus and some prioritization, you're, you're just, you know, you're all over the map and you're, you're not, you know, so you can't deal with everything and you need to be, you know, you need to have that focus to be effective in, uh, and it's long-term work. And you have to be patient and you have to, you know, it's what is the time frame of results that you're looking for. And because so much of it is done with communities, uh, with partnerships, to be effective in public health, you need to have the time and space to build effective partnerships. You can't just go in and do something to a community. You have to build a relationship and, and let the, in many ways, let the community lead, but you're there working with community. And that takes time. Rob, it occurs to me that so much of what you're talking about, things like collaborating, long-term results, kind of the time frame of the work that you're in, building relationships with communities, all of that feels like it kind of flies in the face of the urgency of outcome that 
so many of us are facing, right? I just can hear all of our clients, right? Are just like, yes, that's all important. And we have to get to this outcome. And I'm wondering how you begin to articulate or think about like, this is long-term work, the depth of relationship. How do you begin to show outcomes with kind of this arc of time issues that you're working with? How do you articulate that? How do you work with that? Yeah. Can you solve that one for us? Because we've been, we've been trying to figure that out for about, you know, 20 years. Just solve that. Exactly. Yeah. And I know it's not easy at all because the whole world is focused on outcomes and that, you know, government, you know, where, where's, where's my return on investment, right? In terms of where's the, you know, and, but I think that's where we need to then come back, you know, understanding the root cause of issues, what is really impacting health. And then, you know, uh, focusing more on the outcomes we're looking at may is not maybe the ultimate health co- outcome. Yeah, we need to focus on that. But knowing that that is a 5, 10, 15, 20 year and that then you're developing some more intermediate process kind of outcomes. So maybe the first thing, if we're dealing with a marginalized community, our first outcome is working with community, identifying leaders and developing productive relationships and processes that allow us to start to work on issues. And then you kind of break it down. And so maybe then the next issue is then we're, you know, we're, we're, we have maybe an intervention that we want to implement. Then we have it implemented and we're doing some process evaluation on the implement. Are we reaching the population uh, that's that needs to be reached? Uh, how are they perceiving uh, their engagement with what? whatever that intervention is. It's those building blocks that you have to be monitoring, knowing that those are the steps along the way, which ultimately will have some impact on a health outcome, but it's uh, breaking it down into steps and and kind of like using those steps as the outcome. Mm. That's great. I've seen you a lot on uh, TV recently. <laughs> I've seen you a lot. I've heard your voice on the radio a lot. A little thing called COVID, yeah. <laughs> there's this. Apparently, there's a massive global pandemic happening. And um, one of the things that's always that struck me, and this may not be how you feel, but one of the things that's always struck me is like how calm and centered you sound when you're speaking. You know. And that's obviously what people, I mean, or at least it's what I need, it's what my family needs, is to hear the chief medical officer of health coming on and like being calm and being measured and providing a, a sense of surety, about, not necessarily about the outcome, but about what the next steps are in terms of facing it. And so I'm just interested how you have dealt with, as a leader in a senior position, you know, and so you're not just dealing with like the internal pressures of your organization or like standard stakeholder pressure. Like you've got media pressure here. You've got political pressure. There are so many things coming at you from so many different angles, let alone your own expertise as a public health physician that is feeding into this. Like, like uh, as someone who had worked with you, I kept, I kept, just kept wondering, like, how are you holding your center in the middle of all of those crosswinds? Like, how are you staying in the boat, mate? Are you staying in the boat? Mm. Are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, it's a long, thank you. It's a long journey, but uh, there's a few things in there. You know, first of all, I've been fortunate in Nova Scotia that from the very beginning, building a strong, positive relationship with uh, directly with First Premier McNeil. And I think because that was there for, a, you know, almost a year and showed its the, the positive outcomes, it kind of set the tone in the subsequent two premiers. So that's been very important, having a strong, direct relationship with the political leader who ha- all three of them have been committed to 
to protecting the health and Nova uh, health and safety of Nova Scotians first during the pandemic. And they've turned to me and entrusted me and my team to say, well, tell us how we do that. So other provinces and other parts of the world haven't had. There's been this, you know, public health uh, best uh, uh, guided by evidence, best practices kind of approach. But politics has, you know, taken in many different ways. Uh, so I, I haven't had to deal with that, which has made my job easier. But I have also, I have as a leader, there's two things. I mean, I'm fortunate to have uh, be surrounded by really good people who are leading various components. My, I always say my job is to see the big picture of our pandemic response, where we need to be, you know, the next two or three steps, thinking futuristic. And then I have good people leading various components, whether it's the testing program, the vaccine program, public health you know, a case and contact follow up, all those things. And my leadership style is to be very distributive that I, you know, I, I know what my role is and I trust people to do their work in the, in more of the details of their component. And I don't get in their way. And I'm fortunate to have good people. And I think that's really important as senior leaders is to really support and trust your leadership team and let them do what they need to do and defend them. And I've had lots of times where I've, you know, gone <laughs> and said, I'll step right in the middle of you and, and I got your back and I'm there, whether it's political pressure or getting the resources you need. So we have a very trusting relationship and we have lots of time to, um, well, I shouldn't say lots of time. Sometimes it has to happen within a space of hours. But every decision I've either made myself or taken forward a recommendation to the premier's office, I'm comfortable because I've been able to have conversations with people that I trust. We've kicked it back and forth. We land somewhere. And so when I'm talking about it into the public, I'm in a place of feeling very comfortable with that decision. And I can justify it and defend it. My, I got my head on straight of uh, my thinking around that. And I think that that is important. We need to be able to, when we talk to the public, explain things. The other thing is we've also been, uh, the commitment has been in Nova Scotia, being very open and honest to the public about what we're doing, why we're doing it, and what we know and what we don't know. And I always position things because this is the science and evidence evolve so quickly in something like a pandemic that help people understand that just what I'm saying may change, may change tomorrow, but I'm doing it based on the best evidence. So I think that that combination of being open, honest, as well as me being comfortable with my decision or the decision of the that I'm backing the premier up on. And so I'm not, in, you know, if I'm nervous or in conflict as I'm talking, that's going to come across. But if I'm comfortable with where we're at, even given knowing we've had to make decisions with far from complete evidence, but we're comfortable where we landed with the evidence we have. And that I think that's that's key to coming across in that, as you described, Tim, that kind of calm, right. kind of trusted right. kind of manner. That's really helpful and really good to hear. And I think many of the people who are, who listen to the podcast are engaged from very senior levels just to community level involved in trying to get change done, often in very, very volatile circumstances. I wonder where you turn when you experience self-doubt. You know, I wonder where you turn when you actually don't know. And I know for me, like I go out into the woods right? And I go sit in the woods and I breathe in some air. I genuinely will have a conversation with a tree or I will turn to some of the people who are most close to me. And I've got good friends of mine who will stop and will, and will pray. 
because that is the right, you know, there's just a, because in the midst of it all, there's the strategy of it, but then there's also these moments and you you see where I'm going. And and I just wonder if you could speak to that side of your personal leadership, as well as the kind of team and strategy side. First of all, yeah, you know, again, coming back to people I'm around that I trust and we we have conversations and they, you know, and that that ultimately I know I got to make a decision or make a recommendation, but again, I'm comfortable because we've kicked it around, even, even the unknown. You know, what we what do we know and not know about this? And so, you know, so I, there's that piece. Uh, I mean, personally, uh, you know, I'm a person of faith. And so I do uh, lean into pray. I've got a few close friends around me who I will turn to and we pray about a situation. And because of my faith, not everybody believes this, but I certainly that that. I don't ultimately carry all that weight of responsibility on my shoulders that I believe, you know, I'm, that my faith tells me that I'm in this position with certain skills and expertise, but ultimately there is a God who actually kind of has, has controls all of this ultimately, right? It, not, to, not to dismiss that there are people that have to do things, but I, I don't have to, I don't feel that I have to carry that mm. ultimate, ultimately that full weight of, of everything that, uh, mm. that I uh, have to make decisions on. Thank you, Rob. Yeah, that's great. That's really great. And I'm interested, you said, you know, even I I go and talk to the people I trust, you know, even when we don't know, we can have that conversation about what do we know and what do we not know. And so you've used this word trust of your team multiple times. And I'm curious, kind of in this, I'm curious how you built trust in that team and how you all continue to sustain trust with different bits of information, with different pressures. I, I mean, I can't imagine it's always easy or, you know, we just kind of respect each other so it goes well. And I'd love to hear more because trust is often something that people say to us is like, oh, we need this before we can make systems change or, you know, we don't have this so we can't. And so I'm really interested in how you've built trust in your team, how you sustain that in this kind of volatile environment. So I I think it starts with, I mean, I didn't, you know, some of the people that kind of assembled around me were, I wasn't chosen, but I think it started, you know, people in public health and people in working in government, you know, by and large, people are here to do the right thing, to serve people. You get into, if you're a good civil servant, you get into that because you feel that there's something that you're going to do that actually is going to benefit, you know, the province of Nova Scotia and Nova Scotians. Inherently, people in public health, uh, I've found, you know, throughout my long career, people are come to public health with a certain orientation and it's about supporting and working and helping and serving others. So to me, that's a, that's a really good starting point to say, okay, you know, we're in the middle of the pandemic. Our job is to do the best we can, make the best decisions, use the resources we have to minimize the impact of the pandemic on Nova Scotia. It's not about us, it's other centered. And people are the people that are assembled have been have been fortunate, very naturally oriented to, towards that. And I, I think it's just uh, and we've spent a lot of you know we we spent a lot of, we talk our way through things. One of my favorite quotes is uh, "You're here for a short time, get all the good laughs you can." So I, I I'm always I'm always looking to lighten the mood up because that's you know this is tough times and we're, you know and I'm known for my crazy dad jokes and stuff. But always I think that helps that we're lightening the up and we you know what we behind closed doors we support each other when people are kind of melting down or had enough. It's like okay you need some time off you know so and or get into my office we'll close the door and you you yell at me about all the things that are bugging you today and then and sometimes we've cried on certain issues together right people are just so 
just that being human with each other. Your starting point is about we're here to serve others. You're human with each other within the team. And then you can get on and do the work. Because and that that to me that that humanness is we we know each other we're connected at a personal level that's where the trust comes from. That's great. That's great. And I have to say, you just can't underestimate. I love that you brought up humor. One of the things that Tim and I have been talking about amongst ourselves about the outside is this quality of having fun. You know, like most of the most of the folks we work with are facing from the outside insurmountable issues, right? How do we provide health for in a province? How do we how do we shift a, our child welfare system? How do we make it so we don't even need a child welfare system, for example? Right? They're kind of insurmountable issues. And and we found that kind of this idea of lightness or joy or humor has to be part of how we work, or we would just get bogged down, overwhelmed, unable to kind of move forward. And so this idea of of having some kind of, not only we're in it together in kind of a trench mentality, but like we're going to do this and have some fun together or laugh together as mm. well feels equally important. Choose the, the, we were, Choose and I were texting back and forth on this yesterday, right? And we came up with this like, well, there's got to be learning and laughter, there's got to be depth and humor, and there's got to be division and delight, you know, and all of those things have to go together. And, and I think often, you know, when you're dealing with issues of equity or you're dealing with issues of health, I mean, people's lives are at risk, you know, but there's actually something about inserting some brightness into that that makes it bearable, that makes it workable. And that's actually a critical part of leading in the midst of these type of contexts. Yeah, you got to be careful not to take your, while the issues are very serious, you got to can't take yourself too seriously. Yeah, I love that. And also, I think there's also understanding that these are big, complex problems, right? And so, first of all, you have to break them down. You can get paralyzed by the pandemic or paralyzed by child welfare. But so then you need to, okay, what are we going to do about it and have that? You know what? And it may be that we're not going to solve this even in my career, but we're going to make progress. What is it you're, what is it you see as success? Right. And so I think having a very realistic piece of that. And for me, I come back to the Tim's previous question. I, my faith, I don't own all of this. Right. I don't have to feel that I'm responsible for everything. I'll do the best I can. Uh, and as people around me are doing that, but there's, you know, things I can I'll worry about the things I can control. And maybe it's my personality. I'm very able to say, well, I can't control that at all. So I'm just I'm not going to allow that to occupy much time in my head. And we'll deal with it as it evolves. This latest Omicron variant is like, I have little control over that uh, other than how we watch it and how we respond to it with the tools we have in Nova Scotia. But I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, I'm not sitting here paralyzed by fear about a new variant. I'll just get on with it and uh, we'll deal with it. Right. I love it. I'm just really struck by what you just said. Okay, we'll deal with it with the tools we have in Nova Scotia. And I, I just want to ask you, like, was there any moment where you were like, oh, another variant? Like, just like wanted to shake your fist at the sky at all? Just curious. <laughs> oh, you, you should have seen the text going around Thursday night and Friday morning amongst my team. You've got to be kidding me and all the, all the gifts and stuff that went with that. And that's part of our... Our jokes, we use that to lighten the mood a little bit, and now we'll we'll, we'll get on with it. But uh, the joke is, is it's not it's not oh it's not oh my It's like oh my god. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. That's hilarious. We have a we have a lot of gifts going on in the outside team too. It's yeah. become you know it's definitely a theme. Hey, look, I mean, I kind of want to pull us out almost to a bigger picture, almost to generalize a little bit of, and just like, what what, what do you find you're learning here in how you as a leader are navigating with your team 
the vicissitudes of the COVID response and the leadership required. Like, what are you learning here that you think could be applied to bigger and other longer term issues like climate change, like poverty, like racism, right? I mean, like, like distribution of wealth and power. I mean, there are big issues facing our society right now that we have to tackle head on and look squarely in the eye, you know, and honestly appraise. So I'm just intrigued. Like, are there are there bigger learnings you're pulling out of the last two years of intensity? That'd be helpful just to name. So I, a few things. I mean, I think focusing on the problem at hand. So the pandemic required a lot, you know, acute focus. And I think that's, you know, things like climate change and others, there's always these distractions. So, you know, we've never actually acutely focused on that. Right. But within that acute focus, very quickly realizing, and I think this applies to the other, some of the, yeah, all the problems you've talked about, Tim, and in their complexity, that the acute focus, the flip side of that means that all of government, all of society, all the, you know, sectors, business sectors, you know, private sector, uh, community based organizations, all are part of the solution. Mm. And so I spent a lot of time in, uh, especially uh, during the first six months, but still a big part of my job was it was communication, first of all, with the political side and then publicly. But what people don't, haven't seen is that a lot of my time was spent sitting with business leaders, people leading the economy, community leaders, all, a whole range of things helping them understand the issue, what we needed to do, what our goals were to deal with that issue and what it would take to do that and getting them on board. And I think that is part of, that is a hallmark of Nova Scotia's collective successful or relatively successful response has been that collective effort because yeah. we've, we've done the work to engage across, you know, I said, all of government and all, beyond. And out of that has come the understanding and uh, the phrase that uh, that uh, somebody senior in government developed was good public health is good economics. Because mm. when you understand that as we went, our response actually minimized the impact, even though a lot, there were lots of impacts, minimize the economic impacts because the amount of time we had to have tight restrictions, acting early, acting fast and strongly, and then relaxing restrictive measures slowly over time over the last two years has shown that that actually has minimized the, t the time that we've had to have really tight lockdowns on uh, uh, which have huge economic impacts. So our, if you take a different and longer term view, then you can start to see that, you know, that good investing in public health, investing in people actually is good economics. So wow. that is to me is critical because so much, so many times in all the, all, whether it's, you know, po solving poverty, climate change, we pit business versus society health. or yeah. business, money versus mm -hmm. people. Yeah. As opposed to if we step back and so, you know what, if you invest in people, you are, if you take a different framing and a longer term view, you are actually investing in the economy as right. well, investing money. So people and the dollar don't have to be opposed to each other. Mm. That, that to me is a critical, uh, if we could kind of use that on other issues, because that, that often, that is ultimately what gets in the way of progress in many of these issues. It's about short-term economics and we can't mm -hmm. invest so spending money in these areas needs to be an investment not a cost That's great right i love that that's really good i feel like that would be a great place to start but i feel like you've mentioned issues of community and race and you mentioned the dressers at the beginning and so i just want to ask you kind of a, a 
question around, at least here in the States, right? Part of what we're hearing is that COVID helped to rise up some of these health disparities that we all knew about, but are just now glaring and unable to be, you know, uh, pushed back under the rug. And so I'm curious how you're working, if you have any guidance of working on bringing folks together as some of these fault lines have really been exposed and what you're learning about that. And if there's any kind of like guidance or yeah, any wisdom you want to share about how you're doing that. Oh, choose Cause like often when we do participatory work, it's lovely in the beginning because everyone's like, oh, we're all talking. This is great. You know, but when we get into the systems change elements of it, we actually start seeing the fault lines. And then there's a danger of like increased fragmentation there rather than actually bringing people together, as you described, with a piece of work in the middle to actually galvanize people. Yeah. So I think that's a key piece that, you know, do you have something concrete to work on? So your, your first point, absolutely. And this is something that we cannot lose. Mm -hmm. COVID, like almost every other health event, health issue, has had a greatest impact on those who are most marginalized. And we've seen it. People with low wage jobs, crowded living conditions, mm -hmm. having to work in jobs that up until now we've marginalized, like our continuing care assistance and long term care facilities, you know, mm -hmm. you know, at most risk, people with, you know, service jobs, low wages, all those things. So it's uncovered that even more. So we can't turn away from that. We have an opportunity to, uh, you know, as going, you know, and even if we frame it about how are we better prepared to deal with climate change, the next pandemic, well, a big part of that is addressing those inequities so these mm -hmm. communities and populations are less vulnerable. We cannot let that go. But in the middle of it, in, you know, working very concretely, I'll use our work on our vaccine program. In Nova Scotia, we have both First Nations communities and African Nova Scotian communities. Both who are traditionally marginalized, have higher rates of chronic conditions, et cetera. So we very deliberately, our approach has been to uh, connect with the leaders of those communities and to say, essentially, it's like we uh, have vaccine products. We need to immunize, you know, starting with, you know, based on our approach was age-based. So going down, starting with the elder, uh, the eldest and going downwards. And so how do we work with you giving and, and helping them, you know, so our, they had a lower age cutoff. They came to us and said in our First Nations communities, you, you, when you take 65 and above for us, because of our underlying conditions, we feel it should be 55 and above. Mm -hmm. And we also want to make mm -hmm. sure that our knowledge keepers and our language keepers are a priority. And we right. said, so allowing as much as possible, we allowed those communities and those community leaders to guide and run the, the, the vaccination program. We were there with vaccine, with vaccinators, with, you know, all the infrastructure to do immunization. But we were also training people in those communities to to in certain roles as well. And then they were the ones that in many ways, they were the ones we asked them, we need you community leaders to be the ones that are talking to your community around the importance of getting vaccinated. Not me as a public health person or other people, but you respected, trusted community leaders owning it. As much as possible, we gave them or we handed over in partnership the, the ability to run the program, to communicate it, to adapt it for those who were priorities in their communities. But I think it, when you have a concrete task to do, yes. you can then work in that way. If you're yeah. to your point, Tim, earlier, if you're just talking abstractly, it's much harder to get in and deal with those ultimately those fault lines, those barriers. But now we've learned. So what? how do we then apply this way of working on other issues with these uh, communities? 
the other community that's emerging, we still have lots of work to do, but with our newcomers. So we have more uh, increasing immigration, often refugees into Nova Scotia. It's been harder work, but we've taken the same approach. Who are the leaders in those communities? How do we make sure that we're accessing them with the right language, the right, and it's not just language, but what's the level of literacy? We're finding that even if it's in somebody's native language, they may have very low literacy issues to even understand. So again, working with community to meet them where they're at and with the leaders and in in, to be very visibly seen at the forefront with that community. It's their leaders that we're kind of working from behind to support them. I love it. I love everything you said. And I'm aware that we need to let you go, but just feeling really grateful. And you can't answer that question, but at all, I'm just wondering like what will happen from doing these concrete efforts, from building these relationships, from having this coordinated response. It makes me feel quite hopeful for what could happen for public health post pandemic, right? When these things are in place and we've built these relationships and we've done these good things together, that makes a lot more possible at the other side. So I'm I'm very interested in now, you know, we got to get through the pandemic, but we build, and the other, you know, as I talked about earlier, I've got stronger relationships now, public health has stronger relationships with other government departments, with, you know, more the, the business, the economic uh, people in uh, the economic sectors in Nova Scotia. How do we continue to work together? So a major focus that I have is going to be maintaining those relationships. And the challenge with that is that as you uh, move out of a crisis, you kind of back to business as usual. Right. And, and, and too often, uh, I referred to it earlier, that we don't allow the time, make it a priority, just to build and sustain relationships, connections with people. We get busy doing our job, and then we forget that the most important thing we can do is invest time in an ongoing dialogue, whether it's with a marginalized community leaders, whether it's with leaders in the in the in the uh, business community, and you know, as we talk, you know, we have a huge issue around homelessness and un- yeah. affordable housing here in Nova Scotia. Yeah. That's a critical one that I think public. Public health needs to be at the table. Mm. We're not experts in building affordable housing, but we can certainly bring forward a public health perspective. So I'm very interested in how that specific issue, how we leverage our both our enhanced credibility and enhanced awareness of public health, as well as the relationships we have now to try to deal with that issue. Because I always come back, you know, I think having something concrete that you want to be involved in. Exactly. So that's my goal for 2022 is try to move out of the COVID, but move into these other areas with what we've learned and built from the COVID response. That's great. And just consistently identify that shared work and consistently identify that concrete in the middle that galvanizes people to sustain those relationships. Rob, thank you so much. It's been a total delight and inspiration to have you on the podcast right in the middle of the craziness that is your position in the pandemic and the arrival of new strains. So like, thank you so much for making Mm -hmm. time for us. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Uh, It's great to be able to step away and have this kind of dialogue. And uh, I'd be happy to do that again at some point if the opportunity arises. Oh, we would love to have you back. Thank you both. That'd be brilliant. Thank you.